Welcome to Uncommon Real Estate, where it's all about finding creative solutions for real estate agents and investors. In exclusive mastermind conversations with some of the brightest minds in real estate, you'll learn how to earn an extra six figures a year. Don't follow the herd. Be uncommon. Here are your hosts, multi-millionaire real estate agent and investor, Chris Craddock and Jeff Safright. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, Chris Craddock, and I am here to be with you and talk about building wealth, how to live beyond your next transaction, but also doing your next transactions in a way that will uh, win, kick butt, and then make money so you can do more business and build wealth. And wealth Definition of wealth is when your money works harder than you work, right? When you go on vacation, your wealth doesn't go on vacation. Your money's still working, right? So that's it. So today I get the opportunity to chat with our director of recruiting and HR at Redux, uh, which is our team. And we get to talk to Chris about all of the different pieces that she is an expert in, which I'll tell you what, if you ever have to hire anybody, Anybody, and I don't care whether you're a solo agent, I don't care whether you're building a team, anything else, you are going to have to be in business with other people. And so being able to hire well is massively important. So the last thing I'm going to say is this, and then I'm going to turn it over to Chris to share about herself, was this. Um, I still remember when I was in a room with Gary Keller, and you know, he's a billionaire, obviously one of the, one of the smartest guys in real estate, even though, I mean, we've moved over to EXP. I still have massive respect for Gary, but I, I will tell you, I, I sat there and he said something crazy audacious, something that I was just like, I could not believe that he, he actually started and led with this. He said, do you guys want to know why all of you and everybody in the room was very successful? Uh, you know, the top agents and all of Keller Williams. Like, do you want to know why you guys are out there millionaires, millionaires, and I'm up here on stage as a billionaire? And when somebody says something like that, you're like, uh, that's kind of crazy. But yeah, he's a billionaire, so we can say that. And uh, he said, because I'll kick all of your butts when it comes to hiring good people. And I was like, dang, all right. If, if he says that's the one differentiator, differentiator between him and us, man, we really need to think about who we're in. So with that said, sorry for the long preamble, Chris. With that said, Chris, tell us about yourself. Tell us uh, who you are, what brought you here, and then let's dive into the meat of the topic today. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, well, let me just say first off that I am blessed to be a part of this team. Um, wasn't uh, in my long-term plans, but a series of events uh, came about where Redux was uh, looking to hire and I was on the market. And the longer we talked, the more I thought, oh, this is, this is mine. Not arrogantly like they're going to give it to me, but I want this. There's so much to do. There's so much to grow in. There's like, we get to build together. It was really exciting. So um, anyway, my background is uh, human resources. I started out right fresh out of college in that and have a background in organizational development um, and design, uh, compensation, employee relations. Um, I dabble, I'm not an attorney, but I've always dabbled in writing contracts and whatnot, getting them signed off with the attorney, you know, for uh, all of the different employment things that we do. But my the bulk of my work has been in recruiting and uh, 
talent acquisition, talent development, et cetera. So um, that's what brought me to Redux and here I am. That's awesome. So, so talent acquisition. Now let's talk about that for a second because I'm a, uh, I'm a high D personality on the disc profile. I'm also a high I personality. So the problem with a high DI personality is oftentimes we like everybody, right? Like, like you know, the, the high D piece tends to also come with like about a, with a visionary mindset, um, which um, oftentimes we'll see, you know, see the best in people, like the visionary sees the best in who they could become, but oftentimes they don't want to become that person. The high I personality tends to have a likability piece. And so do you mind just sharing a little bit about um, how you differentiate people? Because anybody that's ever hired anybody on here, I can tell you probably can tell you horror stories of people that you've hired that you're like, man, I thought they were going to be awesome, but they suck, you know, and, and everything else. So do you mind just talking about how you screen people to tell, like, are these great people? Are these people that look like they're going to be great, but they're going to crash and burn? And I know that you, you have failures as well. Like not, you're not hundred percent. I don't think anybody is, but do you mind just talking about like the process that you look at when you're, you're going to hire people? Sure. Great question. Um, I would like to say though, and start out with, um, I try to set up any kind of a conversation with a person where they're going to do some screening out themselves. Um, and I actually say in interviews, we're not for everybody and everybody's not for us. Um, I didn't start out saying that, but over time I realized um, that puts it in their mind there. If they want to join our team, they need to meet our standards, you know? And, um, and so when, when you're introducing who you are as a team, you're laying out standards. Uh, what is the mission? What is the level activity? What, what is it? What is a day in the life? You know, because if they're hearing it and they're leaving maybe a nine to five job where they're kind of wanting to kick back and they really don't even want to put in a full day's work. When you convey all that, they will likely screen themselves out. Some will. Okay. So that I, I do want to say, but secondly, when um, I do think it's helpful, whoever is screening your people to uh, that person needs to sort of have that intuitive thing that comes with, I don't know, EQ, I guess, because you, you can say, I smell a rat. You know, we've all, all heard that saying, you know, sometimes you something just isn't feeling right. You've got to listen to your gut. When you have that feeling in your gut, though, you've got to prove it. That is the most important thing because you, if you're high eye, like we both are, um, you know, yeah, you do like everybody and you hear a good story and it sounds great. But here's the thing. If, if you stop and you think about, are they being really vague with why they're telling what they're telling me or are they really giving me details? If they say, yeah, I was the top salesperson at my company and this and that. Oh, tell me more, you know. Um, and then they say, maybe they won an award, you know, tell me more. What, what, um, what was the award? How many people on your team? What year was that? If you're, if you're asking those questions just casually so that they don't follow it, they don't realize what you're doing. You're going to sort of uncover, you know, oh, that was 2017. <laughs> then what have you done since then? Right. And so you've got to try and prove it. So you want to, ask questions that keep going deeper and deeper when people are saying things. Um, and 
also, um, well, when you're interviewing, I think it's just really important to ask behavioral questions, meaning tell me about a time when, not what would you do, but tell me about a time when, when you were up against the wall, you didn't think you were going to make your numbers and, you know, you pulled it out. How'd that go? What'd you do? Tell me more. So. No, that's powerful. That's, that's great. That's great. So tell me about a time when, and that was an interesting thing, you know, cause it's all sales, right? Like it is, it is sales. And that's one of the things that I teach when we're dealing with, especially with distressed sellers. Um, you ask a question and they'll answer it. And then you want to ask another question again, later on a little bit similar. Um, you know, so oftentimes we'll say, so what do you want for the property? And then, um, and then you'll you'll ask the same question again the next time you talk to them, right? You already have it in your notes, right? So remind me again, what do you want for the property? And if they say the same thing, if they say a lower number, then great, you know what that you know that is, and you know that there's something going on in their mind where they're probably more more motivated. If they say a higher number, then there's something there. Either they're trying to negotiate with you, or they're being cagey, or they're less motivated. Um, and if they say the same number, then you know, then they're pretty, they've got, they probably got a plan and they want to stick to their plan. And so, you know, I find it interesting that all life is sales, right? And so we're looking at, at that. Now, what, what would you say is, um, a, let's say somebody wants to hire, bring on an agent or bring on, well, let's talk about salespeople first. Like you want to bring on a salesperson, right? And this is, here's, here's another thing too. If you are listening to this, and maybe you don't want to hire a salesperson, but maybe you want to be a highly desired salesperson, right? What are the qualities and traits that people are looking for in a high performer, higher achiever? Sure. So I look for people that have some evidence of competitiveness in their background. Um, they obviously need to be, um, you know, a high I. Um, a higher D person is going to do better. Um, they're just going to be able to help get somebody across the finish line. They're not going to be timid about it. Um, but honestly, they, that competitive spirit will take them a long way. Um, and finding out how, how does that have, have they channeled that in their life? What is that? What does that look like? Um, not just competitiveness, but ownership of things. So when you're asking questions, asking them, you know, um, just Anything they tell you, you're digging in, tell me more. Um, and and the, the questions are going to be generated in your mind, depending on what they say. But the idea is, do they own things? So if they're coming from another team and they haven't quite made the numbers they wanted to, okay, tell me about that. What what would have what would have helped you to do more? Are they saying that, well, if they would have given me more leads, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, okay, what's your part in that? You know, and I I think you have to be careful how you ask it because you can put someone off to say, what's your part in that? But you could ask questions like, um, if you had it to do over again, what would you do to increase your sales there under those given circumstances? Are they thinking about it? Are they showing ownership? Because if they don't own their business, you're going to be trying to push a mule. Yeah, push a mule. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good, that's a good <laughs> analogy. All right, so... So tell me this, um, every single person is going to need somebody to assist them if they become a high achiever. And um, whether you're on a team, even if you're on a team, like at some point, if you become a high enough achiever, you should get your team to, to provide assistance for you. So um, 
if you're going to hire in like an administrator and admin, um, you know, and this is, again, this goes back to Gary Keller again, you know, he says in the red book, there's cul-de-sac talent, which is talented people, but they have a ceiling. They're not, they're never going to be high, high achievers, but they're talented. Right. And then there's capacity talent. And these people are going to, going to grow the people around them. Um, how do you look at people that are not necessarily, I know you hire a lot of administrative um, people as well as salespeople. How are you looking at people to see, are they, one, are they talent? Two, are they cul-de-sac talent? And three, are they capacity talent? How, how are you judging that? And who do you typically like allow into the organization as kind of the first gatekeeper there? Sure. So when we're, um, when we're looking for like transaction coordination type people, um, admin people, uh, we tend to find if you're using DISC, uh, we tend to find <coughs> high S, high C um, is a nice combination for that. Um, often, and this, I don't have anything to prove it. This has just been my experience. But often, if somebody is very detail oriented and they haven't expressed um, interest in or shown examples of taking ownership of a new project, seeing a problem and, and finding a way to fix it and solving for it, if they haven't done that, that might not be their gift set. So you do need to re realize that sometimes you're hiring talent to do the job that you have, and that is going to be their capacity. There are going to be others who can do that, but they have shown that they also have the leadership skill to look at a problem and say, you know what, we could do this better. I think we could do it if we were to, if we were structured it this way or whatever, but they can give you an example. Again, tell me about a time when questions will help to uncover that. Um, then you have a leader. So maybe that's the person who's going to be over your, your transaction coordination team, for example. Right. Right. When do you think it's good to hire a VA versus a stateside person? And what's the difference in, in that? Because I've heard a lot of people talk about VAs like they're, they can't be talent. Obviously, you know, who cares whether you're in the Philippines, Pakistan, you know, or Texas or, or Virginia, right? It doesn't matter. Talented people can be talented people. Mm -hmm. But there's also when when English is a second language and, you know, uh, it isn't something that you're fluently speaking all the time. Sometimes there's more thinking that is involved to to solve the same problem. And it makes it a little bit harder um, on some of that. So how do you how do you play out on that? And and I say that as somebody who are uh, a director of operations, Lena, you know, she speaks, you know, her, her primary rate language is Russian. You know, she. She speaks, you know, Russian, English. Uh, I think she speaks a little bit of French. She speaks Spanish, all the other stuff. <laughs> so English is not her first language, but she is, I mean, I will find me somebody better than Lena and, you know, I'll buy you a dinner somewhere. Like, like nobody <laughs> can find somebody better than Lena. Like she is yeah. the best. So I just want to be clear that just because English isn't their first language, but it does just make it harder, right? So do you mind just speaking to that? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so I think uh, when you're talking with people right off the bat, are you struggling? Are you leaning in? Are you finding yourself leaning in and, and, and frowning? And, you know, <laughs> you're not you're having to ask them to repeat themselves over and over. If this job is one where they're going to have to be on the phone or on video chat with your team. That might not be the person for you. 
for this job. You have to look at the job and what does the job require, I think. But like for us, um, you know, we have someone stateside and of course we have Lena and then we have people overseas. We have a really strong overseas team. Um, but when we interview them, we're, we're screening for, can we understand you? Do you um, actually in the interview process, I find uh, we speak a lot in idioms here in the US. And so I'll often say after something will either come out of my mouth or whoever's I'm interviewing with Lena's or something, I'll say, do you know what that means? Um, sorry, you know, and and actually, if they kind of smile and say, oh, yes, da, 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 it shows that they've had an interaction with the U.S. And that is helpful. Um, but at the end of the day, we can work with that. I think what you've got to find is the person who is, um, you know, the cream of the crop. You get, they've got to be detail oriented. They've got to be driven to be the best. They what what motivates them? Um, what keeps them up at night? You know, um, what are their goals and um, how did they plan to achieve them? What have they been doing to achieve them? Because when you ask questions like that, you'll get back. What is the character of this person? What are they willing to do for our team? You know, how hard are they going to work for us? And um, so I think. I think all those things are important. At the end of the day, most, even our local person now is out of the area and I think it's going well. So I do think you can do it with overseas talent. I think you can do it with remote talent, but you have to have the right people, wouldn't you say, Chris? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I guess with that, um, you know, VAs, how do you, I mean, you can pay a lot less for VAs. Um, so why not just run your whole business through VAs? I've heard some people talk about that. Um, like, why why have we decided to do like this mix of you know local and uh, international? I think probably. I mean, obviously, you you um, you started this, and you could answer that much better than I can. But I believe that. When you have people here, you build, you forge relationships, you forge, you know, a trust level. And um, there's just something to be said for being able to get together periodically, sit down across the table and talk about things, hash them out. If we all need to, to meet in the office, we can do that. Um, I will say there are international laws that we have to abide by and it, it is a pain. I'm going to just say it. You have to learn what are the laws in the country that you want to hire from, because let's say business, you know, we're in a shifting market. You know, if I needed to change, you know, um, they have laws on how you, um, you know, what it looks like when you're letting someone go or decreasing hours or something like that. So I do think that you need to be willing to invest in understanding all of that and keeping, have somebody keep an eye on it and make sure that they're always reminding you when, when we're planning on what we're doing with workforce, that we keep that in mind. You can't pivot as quickly sometimes. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's powerful. So um, next piece, when, when you realize that somebody's not a good fit, how do you have that conversation? Because that is, um, you know, I. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people where, you know, when you get get out of business with somebody, they try to sabotage your business. Um, 
all of that. How do you, how do you play, play that out? Sure. Great question. Um, and not anything we ever want to have to handle, but let's face it, if you're in business, uh, more than a little bit, you're, you're going to run into that. So if you hire enough people, you're going to have to, um, coach counsel and perhaps even process out somebody. So, um, I firmly believe in, uh, trying to, you know, there, we believed in somebody in the first place, there was something about them we believed in. So let's start from a position of how do we get you to where we need you to be? Now I say that if there's something egregious, then you need to make a decision then and there. If there's theft, if there's, you know, integrity or something like that, do you, you have to ask a hard question and deal with it much more quickly. But if it's performance, um, my idea is, and, and this is kind of consistent across every industry I've ever worked in, you, you kind of put somebody through a performance improvement plan. You sit down, you have a conversation, you always document, always document. And all you have to do is email yourself. Now it's date time stamped, so it's proven. You know, you've got a folder somewhere where you're keeping um, whatever you're doing, or you know, upload it to your whatever your drive. Um, but but what did we talk about on this day? We talked about this. That's your first conversation, right? If it that doesn't go anywhere and it gets tough, now you're going to have a second conversation where it's much more serious. And at the end, you're actually going to present them with, okay, these are the things we talked about. This is our expectation. You want to do smart goals. You know, it's got to be measurable. It's got to be time bound. You've got, it's got to be specific. You need to, they need to know what is the expectation because when they're hearing you go over it, they're deciding in their mind, do I even want to live up to this or should I be looking for another job? And if they decide to opt out, that's, that's okay. You know, um, but I recommend you present them. This is what we talked about. You don't have to agree with it, but this is what we talked about. I'm signing it and I would like you to sign it that we had the conversation and leave a space on there for them to add any comments they have. A really disgruntled employee may give you a bunch of comments that are totally different than you believe, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. And I guess here's the last question I have before we finish today is, uh, like if somebody's looking to hire, what are the best practices to, to bring in leads, right? Like where, where do you find leads? So um, honestly, uh, while wise hire is heavily used in real estate and there's a reason, you know, it's a good reason to use it is just the disc. It's worth its weight in gold with the disc, but it does not, even when you sponsor jobs on wise hire, you don't get much bang for your buck. I can get more out of a free ad on Indeed than I ever can with wise hire. So I do I advertise on wise hire? Yes, I do. Um, when we have a really specific and strong need, we might put budget behind it. You're likely going to have, depending on the market, you could have to spend somewhere between six and $800 to get yourself put on page one of Indeed. If you're on page three, they're gonna apply to all the, the jobs on page one and two they're tired by the time they get to your job. So, um, but I always throw up freebie ads on Indeed and I generally will get, you know, a couple of good ones out of that. So that's advertising. I think um, there are two other things that I think you really need to be doing. Um, one is you ought to build some kind of, if you can, if you can afford it, 
build some kind of an employee referral program because you'll get your best referrals there. You know when somebody that you know, like, and trust recommends someone, they're going to be great, right? So build that. Um, you're going to incentivize them after the person closes business. So it pays for itself. You know, that's a really good uh, option. And then thirdly is sourcing. Sourcing is what recruiters do all the time. So, you know, uh, whether you pay for, you know, something like broker metrics or go into Zillow and find an agent and start looking, you know, you know what your avatar is. So then you're looking at how many, you know, how many deals are they doing? How many um, reviews do they have? We'll give you a clue, you know, and you're literally cold calling people, you know, True. so you will make a lot of cold calls, but it's no different than you're trying to call clients, right? Yeah. So Chris, um, if, if somebody is interested in hiring or wants to learn more about the process or anything like that, how could somebody reach out to you if they want to hear more about, about what you do? Sure. Um, I don't know if you want to, if we want to put it in the chat or not, but my, um, my phone number is uh, 703-249-3022. Um, text me if you want to, um, you know, reach out or email me. I can shoot you back my um, Calendly link. You can book some time on my calendar. Sure. Yeah. The majority of our listeners listen to a podcast. So we'll make sure that's in the show notes after the fact, and um, you'll be able to see that. And um, Chris, thank you for sharing your time with us. I'll tell you, you know, the difference between winning and losing are the people that you spend time around. It's your network. Your net worth will always equal your network. So anyway, with that said, Chris, thank you for being with us today. Go out and kill it, everybody. Live uncommon. And if I can do anything for you, uh, please reach out, DM me on Instagram or whatever whatever place you want to uh, come at me, uh, do it so I can uh, help you in any way I can. And please leave us an honest review um, wherever you're listening to this episode. All right. Thanks so much. Go kill it. Live Uncommon. Boom. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Uncommon Real Estate. Subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date with the latest mastermind conversations from Chris, Jeff, and other uncommon real estate industry leaders. If you love this podcast, please write us a review. And to fast track your real estate career, go to chriscraddock.com.